Well, hello, everybody. This is another episode of Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number eight, to be precise. Uh, I'm John Burke, and with me this week... Corey Starr, hello, hello. And today we are going to be talking about The Light Between Oceans. Um, But before we get to that, we are going to talk about the movies coming out on March 3rd um, in theaters near you, hopefully. As uh, and a couple of movies that we noticed that were on sale that we recommend. So um, let's go ahead and get into the sales. Uh, Corey noticed a couple of movies that were either re-released or lowered price. So Corey, what you got? Okay. Um, Amazon gets me every time with their emails and their little flash. Um, what are they called? The lightning break- deals. Yes. Um, but they have Green Room on Blu-ray right now. For $10, that is worth a purchase. And then since David Bowie has passed away, everything that he's ever seemed to make in his whole life is being reissued. But that's a good thing for a lot of fans because The Man Who Fell to Earth was kind of hard to get a hold of a quality copy. I'd heard things about the last issue, Um, but it was just released, uh, reissued by Lionsgate at the end of... January and it's about thirty thirty five dollars, which oh. seems to be run of the mill. Okay, um, Green Room is a movie that I love. Uh, I got to see as a critic screening last year, and then I went and saw it again during the summer, which is something I didn't do with very many movies because I was watching a movie a day, um, and it had to be a different movie. I couldn't use the same movie twice. So when I saw Green Room in the theater a second time, I still had to watch another movie. Um, so I didn't do that very often. I did that with The Lobster. I did it with Green Room because I love them so much. I wanted to bring other people to the theater and show it to them. So if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you grab that one. I have not seen The Man Who Fell to Earth, um, so I might have to look into that one, see if it's something I want to pick up or not. I feel like let me read the book first, and then we can watch it for this, if oh, you so okay. desire. <laughs> well, hopefully the price won't go back up. Um, well, with that, we're going to get into the upcoming movies on March 3rd, which there's a few um, coming out. And we're going to start with one that's going to be more of a limited release. Um, and I, I'm hoping it will get a little bit of a wider release because of the cast. Um, it's a little small independent comedy called Table 19. Uh, this movie stars Anna Kendrick, um, Craig Robinson, Lisa Kudrow, um, Stephen Merchant, uh, Amanda Crew, Wyatt Russell. Um, you may have seen Wyatt Russell in 22 Jump Street. And um, I think I already said Craig Robinson, but Tony uh, Revru. Revolori, Revolori. That's probably how you say it. Um, he was in the Grand Budapest Hotel and Dope, and is going to be playing Flash Thompson, which is surprising in the upcoming Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, did you get to watch the trailer for Table Nineteen? I did. What are your thoughts? Um, um. Okay. So, Anna Kendrick. I feel like she's way funnier than they ever let her be in movies. But this one, I hadn't heard of because that's my life. But um, it actually it looks really funny. Um, so I would definitely be interested in seeing this one. I'm wondering how wide the release is going to be too. Yeah, it the first website, I've been using a website called Movie Insider to get like the dates, and apparently they're not as reliable with their release schedule. Um, but I found out a website that I use for um, box office budgets has a really great section uh, for upcoming releases, and that's... Um, boxofficemojo.com and they have it listed just as limited so um, it might go wide in a couple of weeks if it does okay in the limited release but it it seems more likely we're going to end up seeing this one on digital or DVD um, in a few months just it's not getting a whole lot of buzz Uh, it definitely has a small budget uh, marketing wise I have seen the trailer in a couple of movies Um, I think I saw it last night in fact with Get Out as another indie film um, but oh. it, I really like it. Um, I, I mean, I think I'm going to like it. It's, it's right up my alley. I'm a sucker for rom-coms. I love Craig Robinson and most things. And Anna Kendrick, uh, usually makes me laugh pretty hard. So I hope it comes close. Um, but that we'll, we'll move into the bigger names. Uh, we'll get the one that I'm least interested in out of the way. Uh, any guesses? I watch so many trailers. Nope. Oh, um, the shack. Um, oh gosh, me too. I was like, why is he making me watch this? I've already watched it one time and I felt like that was torture. Yeah, but it is a pretty heavy melodrama. Um, I think it would fall into the melodrama category just given how the guy, Sam Worthington, is screaming and throwing furniture around. Um, 
it is a clearly religious film, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to look to see if it's building her, but I think Octavia Spencer is playing God. What? I kind of got that, too. Um, it's She's billed as Papa. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know how to take that, but um, based on the conversation he's having with her, it definitely seems to imply that she's God, which is interesting. Um you know, I'm I'm not against that in any way. I'm just saying, like, when you get into a movie where you're you're bringing God into a human form to talk to someone, it, it's usually going to feel kind of preachy. And definitely the vibe I got from the trailer, um, you know, I'm sure it's going to appeal to some audiences. It does not appeal to me. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of Christian films, if this is considered a Christian film, they, they tend to be not as well written and not as well made. Although the cast for this one is pretty you know big again octavia spencer um just i'm pretty sure she won the golden globe no she didn't she was nominated though for a golden globe um for hidden figures for supporting actress um and then you have you know well tim mcgraw and faith hill wrote the theme song and he's also in the movie um sam worthington is the star oh there is a guy playing jesus though just saw that um oh my gosh i have to scroll more avraham ava alush aviv it's probably aviv i apologize for the bad enunciation or pronunciation um graham green is in a bunch of stuff you know normal character actor he shows up in all sorts of movies that's about everyone that i recognize but nonetheless um yeah i'm it's coming out and i know it's going to have a pretty decent um you know, showing is what I'm expecting. I don't think it's necessarily going to be good, but it might be. You know, it might be. Uh, again, Octavia Spencer is great. Um, Sam Worthington is not. I, I don't find him to be a good actor at all. If I'm not mistaken, he is Avatar guy. Um, and I am I'm not a fan of the Avatar films um, at all. Yeah. Yep. So um, he's also, yeah, he's in some real, like his best known for are like three horrible movies on my phone right now, which are Avatar... <sighs> Clash of the Titans, the remake, of course, not the 80s one, and Terminator Salvation, which is arguably the worst of the Terminator movies, but that's a hard title to win because there's a few bad Terminator movies, but... Um, yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb, and I know we, you might have said this, but they are making Ava up to Avatar 4 oh. already in pre-production for uh, 2022? They are filming four movies simultaneously, um, so there will be Avatar 1 through 5 when it's all said and done. And Disney is in the process of uh, rebranding Animal Kingdom to Avatar Land. So, I don't understand. Okay. I, I don't either, because most people just remember liking that movie, but they can't tell you anything about it. I remember hating it, and can tell you quite a few things. The biggest is the name of the metal that they're after, which is Unobtainium. <laughs> way to way to really put in the effort, extra effort there, James Cameron. But you know, you can't win them all. Oh, I yeah. I mean, you know, um, let's move forward then to the next movie on our list, one that I was not looking forward to, but am now, um, and that is Before I Fall. Uh, that comes out on Friday the 3rd, um, stars Zoe Dutch, uh, Liv Hewson, Logan Miller. I know Zoe Dutch is in some stuff. Um, uh, Houston Sage is in a few things, too. I don't know. I don't recall exactly what, but... Um, Everyone else is, looks like somewhat of a newcomer, or at least not people that I'm familiar with. Maybe they're in some, like, you know, I don't know, the OC or whatever the, the equivalent of modern-day OC is. Um, what did you think about the trailer, Corey? Um, so it's a teenage Groundhog Day. Yes, except it does not list itself as a comedy, so this is a very different tone than what you get in Groundhog Day. It looked like, um, so she's popular, and she is going through the motions of the same day. Um, she thinks it's deja vu. I think she says in the trailer. Um, this was the first I've heard of. I'd heard of it. Oh. Um, but apparently, something they get in a car accident and she's regretting things. I don't know. Well, um, here's the thing. Uh, the trailer you saw is the first trailer I saw, which I think I saw maybe two months ago initially. Um, what? Yeah, um, and I kind of scoffed at it because the Groundhog Day thing's been done. Obviously, by Groundhog Day, I mean it's been redone by many films and TV shows have referenced it because it is a classic. Um, then it showed at Sundance and got really great reviews and is currently sitting at a 70 on Metacritic. Um, so 
and that's a seven. It's only out of five reviews though, so it's got room to to fall. But the buzz out of Sundance is that it's a really great film. So I'm all in. Uh, it it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't look good. Super compelling. Um, yeah. I, I mean. I don't know if it doesn't look good. I, I am a fan of the Groundhog Day mechanics. Like, there's a really cool shot when they're doing a time lapse where she gets out of bed and then another one of her is in bed and starts to get out of bed. And it looks like they're going to, like, layer that for a few sh- scenes in the trailer. I doubt that's in the movie. That might just be for the trailer to show the passing of time. But they ruin the effect because all of a sudden that the one the second one that stood up just shows up back in bed and starts to stand up again rather than it layering to, like, three people or four people. Um, oh. Yeah, I've I've watched this trailer a lot because it keeps showing up in front of movies that I'm seeing. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's definitely got room to be awesome, but it has nothing on our last movie, which I'm mm. pretty sure all of our listeners are super pumped about. And that is the final film at, with Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine called Logan. I am so pumped for this. We've been waiting for months since the first trailer dropped with the... Uh, Johnny Cash version of Hurt, um, which could not make that trailer any more emotionally um, impactful. Um, there are actually two other versions of the trailer, one with a different song, and it's very much f- focused on the little girl, and that one's great as well. Um, and the one I sent you today, I think, was the Red Band. I'm not 100% though. Um, yeah, and that it is. Okay. I was going to say, um, as we're awkwardly quiet, that is um, the same trailer pretty much that I think I saw in theaters for it. Yes, except there's a scene at the end where he stabs a dude in the head. Yes! That's the only difference in the red band, but it's pretty awesome. Um, All right, then. You know, it's Hugh Jackman, uh, Patrick Stewart. I'm assuming Daphne Keene is the X-23 girl that we are going to see. Um, Stephen Merchant shows up in this movie as well, if I'm not mistaken. I just said his name for Table 19. Um, so that dude's got double movies popping out this weekend. Um, yep, I was right. The same dude from Table 19. Um, and uh, Richard E. Grant's in this. He's in some stuff. That's about all I recognize so far. Um, if you haven't seen the trailer for Logan, uh, you can watch it on our our website, BurkeReviews.com. Um, we highly recommend that you... Uh, check it out because the movie comes out this this weekend i'm expecting it to be very similar to deadpool in terms of box office numbers um but it'll be a march release instead of a february release that's the only difference but it is really kicking off what looks like a great superhero year with uh still guardians of the galaxy volume 2 coming out uh thor ragnarok um wonder woman justice league and i think i'm forgetting one more and i can't think of what it is but um yeah, it's a big comic book year though, and uh, obviously Logan starting us off is a is a good place. It's hopefully will set the tone for what the rest of the films will be like. I hope they don't do what they've done in the other two Wolverine standalone films. Have you seen the other two Wolverine films? No. All right. Well, let's start start real quick with Origins. Um, pretty much bad all the way around. They actually introduced Deadpool in that movie uh, with Ryan Reynolds playing him. Um, they completely destroy the character, and by the end of the movie, it's a joke. It's a joke that they even make fun of in the Deadpool movie. The movie as a whole is bad. Um, they had Gambit, which is something everyone was really excited because Gambit has not been in any of the other X-Men movies, and he was bad. Um, Wolverine was kind of a joke throughout the film. They uh, it, There's a lot of bad stuff. Then they did The Wolverine, which went to the, the time period where Logan was in Japan. Um, really awesome movie. The first act is great. I love the second act. The third act starts to seem like something's off, and then you get to see Silver Samurai, a beloved Wolverine and Marvel character um, that they bastardize and make into basically a Transformer, and it's awful. Um, It really, really falls apart in the third act. And I can watch the first and second act um, and then just walk away because it just really falls. So that is... I'm very, very anxious that this movie will not live up to what it looks like it's going to be. But I'm I'm hopeful. Because, again, the first one's really bad. Second one's much better. So hopefully the third time's the charm and they'll nail it. Um, and maybe the R rating will be the difference, is that they will uh, finally get Wolverine completely right um, and won't flop it in the third act. Because, um, really, there are uh, six X-Men movies and then three Wolverine spinoff movies. So a total of nine. And of those nine, there are probably three that are good from beginning to end. 
It just seems like too many. <laughs> it, well, it's also it's one of the first. It started, in, I think, 2000 was the first X-Men uh, film. So it's 17 years into this. Uh, Wolverine has been huge. Has, I'm sorry. Wolverine has been Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman has been Wolverine. Um, so it's it's a long time for any actor to play a character. Um, I think longer than anything uh, that I can think of as far as film goes. Um, I guess I guess you could make the argument that Bruce Willis has been John McClane for 30 years, but... He's well, only done five movies in 30 years. Wolverine has done nine in 17, so... Oh, I was going to say Sylvester Stallone. Rocky, six. Uh, six films. Yeah. Nine films still for Wolverine, so longer stretch. Um, seven, I guess, if you count Creed for Stallone. Um, but still, that's over, what, 50, 40 years? 40 years? Because Rocky came out in 70-something. Um, I can't handle it. So that's a good point. But again, 17 years, nine movies. Um, he's got. I think he's got the record as total and he's made um he technically he did he himself did not make a cameo in um deadpool however at one point ryan reynolds is wearing a stapled on wolverine mask to his face so you do see him as wolverine in in deadpool um but yeah it's a character that i've enjoyed uh he has been the highlight of the x-men films um he only made a cameo in first class and um x-men apocalypse but he has been in all of them as Wolverine, uh, at least for a scene. So um, we'll eventually have a new Wolverine, which will be interesting. Um, hopefully they'll do better than what the new Batman have done in the past. Because when we lost Michael Keaton and got Val Kilmer, it was a downgrade. And then we got George Clooney, and it was a huge downgrade. Then we got Christian Bale, and it was like, oh, great, this is okay. And still on the fence about Affleck. We'll see how Justice League is. It's probably going to suck. So, Oh, no. Let's move into a movie that stars an X-Men, actually. Um, we're going to talk about The Light Between Oceans, and it stars Michael Fassbender, who is Magneto, which is why, I'm Corey, I'm so surprised you haven't seen some of these X-Men movies. I did see some of them. Um, I didn't see the last one Don't. because it's, it's you and I think a friend both told me that it was not good. Yeah, it, it really fell flat. Um, Oscar Isaac, I was so excited about Oscar Isaac being I love him. Apocalypse, and it was very not good. So, um, But enough about X-Men movies. Uh, we'll talk about Logan, I'm sure, in the near future. But um, let's talk about The Light Between Oceans. This is a uh, film from 2016. Um, it did not get a huge release, unfortunately, but it is a, a melodrama directed by Derek Sion Franz, who also um, directed the film Blue Valentine, which we did a podcast on a few weeks ago. Um, and he also directed uh, the uh, Place Beyond the Pines, um, so he likes long titles, with the exception of Blue Valentine. And um, this movie stars Michael Fassbender, Alicia Vikander, and Rachel Weisz. Um, and I'm going to read the description: A lighthouse keeper and his wife, living off the coast of Western Australia, raise a baby they rescue from a drifting rowing boat. I got to ask a question, Corey. Way to trim that down a lot, okay? Yeah, well, they have to because everything else is spoilers. Like after that point, um, I actually, I went in with a lot of spoilers. I don't know if you did. Um, I might I might have spoiled it for you. Um, in regards to your it's you cry thing. Mm mm mm. Oh shizzle! Before um, you bought okay. it, um, I thought I might have told you about the baby and and whatnot. No, I don't think you did. Oh, okay. Um, so. Going into this movie, all that I knew was from the trailer. Okay. Um, I didn't read about it. Um, I wanted to see it because of Michael Fassbender, duh. And then I found out um, that this was the same director. And I've only seen Alicia Vikander uh -huh. in Ex Machina yes, that she's... I can think of. I didn't see the Dutch girl. Uh, Danish no, I want girl. To. Um, Danish girl. Oops, I'm fired. And she's great in that. Um, and she's also in... Uh... The Man from Uncle. Um, oh, I did see that. I did not like that movie. Really? I did. No. Well, she. <laughs> Don't cry about it. It's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, she um, is really great she... in that movie, though. She's the, uh, she is the love interest between um, Arnie Hammer and uh, Superman. I don't remember his name at the moment. Um, Henry Cavill. That's it. Henry Cavill. Uh, Cavill. 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 Oh. Hey, I was close enough. I'm impressed that I remembered that. I didn't even realize. I just watched Burnt, and she was in that, and I didn't realize that. Um, she was Oops. in last year's Jason Bourne, um, and she's got three movies on the slate for this year. Uh, Tulip Fever, Submergence, and Euphoria. 
Oh, and she's that's right. I forgot about this. Um, she's going to be playing Laura Croft in the reboot of the Tomb Raider oh. franchise. Well, I'm excited about it because I think she's a great actress, and I want to see. She is a great actress. Um, if you haven't seen Ex Machina, uh, and if let me real quick on a side note, A24 is an indie studio that is killing it, and they uh put out Damn. Green Room, um, The Lobster from last year, Swiss Army Man. And um, Moonlight. Moonlight. That's right. Uh, and I don't think they did Lion, but they, they, they keep getting these amazing moves. Uh, in 2015, they released Ex Machina and Room, which Room was um, Brie Larson won for Best Actress last year at the Oscars. Which, by the way, um, we'll pause. At, well, I guess at the end we'll discuss the Oscars real quick because that comes uh, that's Sunday. Um, although by the time this technically comes out, it will already be Monday. But nonetheless. I'll probably release this episode a little early since uh, our new home on SoundCloud is uh, people want more. So um, give them more. Exactly. Uh, So we're going to be talking about the light between oceans. But before we do, we must warn you, Corey. Spoilers. Spoilers. So if you want to watch this movie before you hear us talk about it, please be our guest and then come back and listen. Or if you love spoilers, we're going to keep rolling. Be our guest. I'm sorry. Um, Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Go it's, ahead. It'll be here soon. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'm so excited. So initial impressions of this film. Um, I heard about it first from David Bax uh, at Battleship Pretension, um, a guy that I am uh, you know, talking to on Twitter. Very, very limited. But nonetheless, um, he is a film critic that um, I think helped in, uh, inspire me along with his uh, partner, Tyler um, Smith, to start the podcast. Um, Doug Benson is the reason I started the blog, and everything kind of just evolved from there. Um, but uh, David was a big fan of this film, and I think Scott Nye, who is a uh, regular guest and the editor-in-chief at the Battleship Pretension website, um, both really loved uh, The Light Between Oceans. I was compelled by the premise. I like Alicia Vikander. I am a huge Rachel Weiss fan because of The Lobster from last year. Um, she is the love interest of uh, Colin Farrell in that film, and I enjoyed her character very much. Um, so when I heard it was Alicia Vikander and Rachel Weiss. With Michael Fassbender, I was I was in. Now you are a huge Michael Fassbender fan. I feel like I need to tone down the fangirl a little bit. Um, yes, he is definitely probably in my top three. I feel like he's my favorite. Let's not lie. I I like him, but he's also done some movies that I don't like. Um, most recently, yeah. Assassin's Creed. Um, see, I didn't see it. I desperately wanted Assassin's Creed to be good because I am a fan of the franchise. Um, I I believe in my heart that a video game movie can be a good movie. I think the creators of them try to make it too much like the video games and not just tell a story within the universe of the video game. Um, and they really they there's some really cool stuff in the movie, and then otherwise it's just bad. And um, I don't know that he's ever bad, but he hasn't he's never blown me away with a performance, with maybe the exception of Frank. Um, and if you've not heard of Frank, Frank is, uh, he plays a character that wears a paper mache head um, through 90% of the movie. I think you see his face at the end, if I remember correctly. It's not, I don't think that's a spoiler because it's, you know who it is. So um, it's a unique performance, if nothing less, but he's he's pretty great as, it, uh, as Frank. Um, that movie directed by the same guy who directed Room, actually. Um, but this movie, I was blown away by all three of their performances. Um, but particularly, sorry for the really weird stutter there, um, Fassbender and Vikander, um, there are several scenes where I was just completely blown away by uh, their emotional outburst. Um, I don't, how do you feel about it? I definitely agree. I, I, I don't, I, words. Um, so I thought I was going to like ugly cry a lot in this movie, especially when you messaged me and told me. Um I think that you cried. I was like, oh, God, I'm glad I didn't see it in the theater. But I didn't ugly cry. But there are so many points where I'm like, you know, like caught my breath and like absolutely heartbreaking. And I think that they are so great together. Yeah. So great together. Um, I actually I didn't cry, but not because I didn't want to necessarily. But um, I actually got my wife to watch this movie with me which doesn't happen very often, but I was convinced that this would be a movie that she would like. Um, and I, I'm kind of wrong. Um, oh. she, she she liked it a lot, but I think she's still mad at me for having her watch it because she cried a lot. Um, now, uh, to make sense of that, we're going to have to kind of explain uh, why. 
Um, and that is where we'll get into a little more of the plot synopsis. So, um, Michael Fassbender's character is set up initially. I would say he's like um, looking for to pay penance for his part in World War One, um, and he's looking to isolate himself from the rest of the world as a as a punishment. It seems uh, he's he does state that um, he doesn't want to hurt anyone anymore. So I definitely um, and also I can only imagine being around that many people and in that type of situation for so long to just want some breathing room. But I agree. Yeah, um, and so he, he takes this job where he's going to be the lighthouse uh, keeper for, it's temporary, um, and I feel like it's six months that is, or is it longer? It's three years? I don't remember. His what... in... Oh, his initial, initial post is six months while the... Okay, that's what I thought, while the other guy is recuperating from yes. from a mental breakdown due to cabin fever is what they're, uh, they're su- I... suggesting or implying. It's isolation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. They're like Kevin fever, and I'm like, hmm. Well, so the lighthouse is um, one. Did you get that it was Australia by watching the movie? I had no idea. Yeah, I I didn't know. I knew there were accents that felt British to me. Um, Same, p- particularly Rachel Weisz's. But it, this is it's set in 1918 and goes to I think 19. Well, it goes pretty far um, by the <laughs> end of the movie. But uh, the initial main story I think goes to about. Um, nineteen twenty-three. No, twenty-three is when they get the baby. Um, oh, then until like, nineteen twenty-seven, right? She's only four. I felt like that. Yeah, you know, I guess when yeah. when everything starts to turn, yeah. Um, and then it jumps quite a bit. Um, at the end, but we'll get to that momentarily. But so he's at this lighthouse in in what uh, is listed as a area uh, between uh, Tasmania, which is happening there. Corey, hi. Oh, okay, you lost your headset. All right, so um. Yes. It's listed as Tasmania somewhere. I, I think I read on Wikipedia or something, um, which the the plot synopsis I read initially didn't mention Australia. But in the film, I don't think it ever indicates that it's Australia. You're just either supposed to pick up on it or it's irrelevant. It doesn't really matter that it's Australia. Um, you just know that he was a soldier in World War One. Um, he's alone. He has nothing. And so he takes this job where he's going to be isolated um, on a lighthouse with, you know, basically by himself completely and. Um, his job is every night to light the lighthouse so nobody hits this um, strip of land that's in between two oceans, hence the name The Light Between Oceans, um, which is the India, Indian and Pacific, I'm assuming. Um, so he ends up meeting a girl in town who is Alicia Vikander, and like instantly there is clearly an attraction, right? Yes. <laughs> Way to back it up, Corey. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she ends up moving with him, and they start they, they get married— um, before that, she Hold moves on. with him. Shout out to homegirl in 1918 asking him out on a date. <laughs> well, in I fa- love that. Um, a mot- uh, I would say a motif throughout the film is letter writing, um, which is used. That's how they initially start to build their relationship. Like he's very quiet with her in person. They have a picnic. She does most of the talking. Even proposes to him there at the picnic. Shh. She invited him on the picnic. Well, mm-hmm. she invited herself with him on a picnic. That's right. And um, But the letter writing is where he opens up to her. It's where he, I think he feels the most comfortable. Um, and it's very sweet, back and forth. And then um, they do arrange to be married via letter. Uh, and he comes back to the, the, the city, um, which is apparently a fairly long boat ride. Not like a day or anything, but like a few-hour boat ride. Um, and they get married. She moves there. Um, I was surprised how calm the dad was. I actually thought the speech at the wedding that the dad gives was very, uh, very sweet. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting that. The dad's speech? or Well, for him to be so okay with her going ah, there. Yeah, he definitely seemed a little apprehensive. Um, it should be noted that she had two brothers that both died in the war, so she is the last living child. And there's actually a really great line um, early in the film where um, Alicia Vikander says... Um, she's talking about, I think, uh, a widow that like, if your husband or, uh, dies or if your wife dies that you ha- you take on this new title, you're no longer a wife or husband. You're now a widow or widower. And yet when a child dies, you're still a mother and a father. Um, and it was a really sad kind of like insight. Uh, and I think obviously it's kind of a theme that happens in the film, um, as we're going to get into, uh, with the big story element that we're, we're getting to actually, because they they start they try to start their family. She gets pregnant pretty quick, 
Um, and it's uh, very foreshadowing in this melodrama that the pregnancy is not going to last. Um, did you notice how the the film had been these nice hues of pink and um, very like a sunset, like all all the tinting in the first uh, part of the film is very much this romantic looking sunset color scheme. No, I did not actually. But when I saw all the shots of where they go, it made complete sense to me because they're surrounded by the ocean. Yeah. And the idea of light is obviously prominent because he works at a lighthouse. And right before uh, things hit the fan, we get a really bad thunderstorm. Like the clouds start rolling in. And I wrote down in my notes, um, like as it was happening, I'm like, um, storm likely foreshadowing bad things to come. And a few moments later, uh, she has a miscarriage. Um, she's definitely distraught over it. She's torn up. Uh, there's a very sad scene with them putting a cross in the ground, and you know where they buried the, uh, I guess the fetus is the correct phrase here. Um, and you know they they try to move on, but she's clearly upset and sad. Uh, she's ready to start a family with the man she loves. Um, and she gets pregnant again. What happens, Corey? I don't want to talk about it. Um, well, <laughs> she's playing her piano. And I need to step back a minute because they did such a great job with this film. It was It's such an amazing film. But this happens. And she pretty much crawls across this rocky island they live on to get to the lighthouse to him to be helped. And then he opens the door the next morning and she apologizes. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. And he's, he's, I want to point out right away. He is never mean to her ever. Like that was what I was really concerned with was that he would be like a jerk to her or something. He is a great husband. Um, he's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, I would say for the most part, she's a pretty great wife and something happens, but we're going to get there. In fact, I did jump too far cause there was a great scene um, he wants to get a doctor to the island because she miscarried and she's embarrassed and does not want a doctor. Um, and people show up to the island and she gets so mad that he went behind her back. Um, I think she even says that exact phrase that you went behind my back and he's trying to explain himself, but she's not hearing it. She walks away and we see him talk to the guy with his bag and it's like, well, I guess we're having sandwiches for lunch, which was a little, you know, 1918 women were in the kitchen at the time not saying that's where they belong i'm not saying that's where you know now i'm saying at the time that was kind of the thing so it was a little joke that he was going to have to make them lunch but who is that instead of a doctor Corey? guys he brought somebody to the island to tune up her piano that was a, a part of the story that was already been introduced that she liked to play she was excited when she got to the lighthouse and found out that there was a piano there only to find out that it was an antique, not not in any way, shape, or form ready to be played. So he, she hears the piano being uh, tuned and runs back. And the look on her face of one guilt for giving him so much crap. And then, but first she's still pissed. Mm-hmm. She's like, what are you doing? But when she finds out, it's it's so sweet. Um, it is it's definitely, let, let's get this out of the way. It's a, it's a love story. Like, this is a sappy story. And I loved every second of it. Um. And that goes to show, again, much like I used to say I hate musicals, I don't hate romances at all. If a movie works for me, it works for me, and I'm willing to give it a chance. Um, That said, I've tried a couple of times to sit through parts of The Notebook, and I don't know if I just have hated it internally so much that I can't get past that, um, or if it's I don't like Nicholas Sparks. I'm not sure. I feel like it's Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, because I am a huge fan of... uh, this guy whose name I always forget his first name, but Sion France. Um, I, I love what I've seen of his. I love his, uh, Derek. I love his point of view with love because Blue Valentine, I love how he tells that story. Um, Place Beyond the Pines is also a love story, um, albeit a messed up one, but nonetheless, it does deal with love and it actually deals with uh, parental love and responsibility and, and guilt. And this movie deals with guilt and parental love um, and relationship love. I mean, it's it's a theme that he clearly works very well with. Um, so I'm, I don't want to sit and go play by play, but she does have a second miscarriage. Um, and she was already devastated this time. It looks like it's going to, it could kill her. Right. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, definitely. Um, completely distraught. Um, her face looks sunken in. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the, uh, the shots that we get is they, they've put the second cross. And in fact, that's how we know that she had a miscarriage. We see, um, 
the second cross put into the ground next to the first cross with the date on it. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but they were really em emphatic about the dates here. Um, one on the cross itself, but she's, uh, we see a shot of her laying in the grass next to the crosses crying and he is in the lighthouse, um, writing, um, I think it's actually not here. It's after what's about to happen, but he is in the lighthouse. They both, he, uh, he sees a boat in the ocean and she heard a baby crying. And if I did not know what this movie was going in, I would have probably thought she was maybe hearing things. They, they, but... they made her look like she thought she was hearing things. You know, she she kind of gives this look of like, did I just hear that? But then also tries to push it aside like there's no babies. It's a, it's they're alone on an island. There's no way she's hearing a baby crying. So <laughs> the boat washes up um, well close to shore and he runs out and grabs it um, in the boat is a dead man and a baby. I kind of had a hard time with this part. Which part? With the man is dead, but the baby is fine, and this small rowboat just went through this crazy storm. Well, uh, I don't think it went through a storm. Um, the the storm was before the first um, miscarriage. Oh, we've had a second miscarriage geez. here. So, That's right. Sorry. Um, I don't know what killed him. We know that he was. Ch I think they say he was chased into the boat um he was german so this is after world war one so germans were not the most favorable people um the, there is uh later in the film he will be depicted as definitely being abused by the people in the village um with all with the exception of his wife um who he meets in the village but we'll get to that um i can't remember if he i don't know if he had been shot like there's no indication of why he's dead and the baby's alive um but <clears throat> I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too far, but they say something about he had a weak heart. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I might have missed that for sure. Um, it is it is a longer movie. It's two hours and twenty minutes, I think. Um, two hours and thirteen minutes. Thirteen minutes. So it is. It's a little long, uh, but not not in a bad way. I just it doesn't feel things, long. Things got in my way a few times. I was trying very hard to give it a hundred percent of my attention, but something was happening that I think I was getting emails from work or something. I was responding to, but. Um, so this is where a big debate comes in. Um, oh. he, Michael Fassbender's character, um, whose name I should know, Tom, um, wants to return the baby. And not not return the baby, but, you know, do the right thing. Report the boat, um, report the dead man, and then give the baby to an orphanage. She thinks this is an answer from God. I've lost she two children. Uh -uh. He didn't want to give the baby to an orphanage. He just wanted to report it, and then they could later adopt it. Correct, but I think in the meantime he knows that it would go to an orphanage. Like it doesn't just sit in like a you know back room somewhere. Like it's going to go to the orphanage until he can properly adopt it. Which is her argument is that you know they're not just going to give us a baby. Look where we live. You know, it's back and forth. She desperately wants to keep the baby. No one will know. They're completely alone on the island. They can you know dispose of the boat, bury the body, raise the and baby. She was just pregnant, and people knew she was pregnant. Because um, they do have a Morse code um, system in place, which uh, they didn't show right away, but they finally do show. Um, and that's her hope: is that um, let's we can raise the baby as our own. No one will ever know. They'll just think I had the baby a little early. Everything will be great. He's obviously against it, and he goes um, to the lighthouse, and he has a log where he has to keep anything that happens. So, uh, if he saw a boat, if this thing went down, so he's supposed to write. That the boat washed up with a dead man and a baby in it, but he hesitates. And here we have a really cool shot of the of the window, which is a reflection of him, but also uh, the date. They really want us to know the date. Um, it's a significant date, and I think it is. Um, I know I wrote it down. Twenty seven. April twenty seventh, and that is nineteen twenty three. I'm pretty sure. Um, it could be twenty four. I can't remember for sure if it was twenty three or twenty four, but it's it's one of those. And that date will be relevant throughout the rest of the film. So that is the big twist. That is what the story is really going to be about. These people who are good people who were just trying to start their family had a very difficult situation arise where a baby was given to them. And the right thing to do would be to report it just in case. And if nobody you know, steps forward, because again, it was just a father. So theoretically, there's a mother somewhere. At least there was, you know, we don't know. Maybe she fell out of the boat. There's, you know, you could speculate. But at this time, all they know for sure is that they have a baby, a dead father, or presumably the father, and no sign of a mother. 
So the right thing to do is what Tom wants to do, which is report this. If there is no mother, we can adopt the baby. And if not, we will, you know, we'll try again. We'll try to have our own baby. She is insistent that this is a sign. And because he loves his wife so much, and we've already seen that he's willing to take even, despite his better judgment, he's going to take what she wants into advisement. He knew that he should have got a doctor for her um, after the first miscarriage, but didn't because she didn't want one. Here, he wants to do the right thing, but doesn't because he wants to make his wife happy and he wants a child. So um, they raised a child for a few years. I think it's three or four years. Um, they raised the child. The, they love the child. Her name is um, Lucy. Everything looks pretty great uh, until they take the baby to be christened. What happens when that, they take the baby to be christened, Corey? So for some reason, the vicar is not at the church. So everyone is waiting outside while... Um, is his name Blue? I don't know. Is that the vicar's name? I, no, it's oh. one of the guys who comes out to the island. Ah, ah, ah. Um, I think his name is Bluesy or something. Um, he goes to get the vicar, and Tom sees a woman out in the cemetery mourning, and he's kind. He something about her draws him in, so he walks across after she's gotten up and left, and he sees a headstone that says "Beloved husband of um of Hannah and father to um Grace, um lost at sea by boat," I believe it says. Yeah, I believe and that. he instantly knows. Yeah, it's instantly. also on the tombstone is the date. Exactly. Why we were shown the date so emphatically. Um, but interestingly, because again, they could have just shown us the date. But no, we were really looking at Michael Fassbender. But if you pay attention, you can see the date in in the, the shot of him, of his reflection. Um, and that's it's a really creative way of making you pay attention because um, it pays off if you were. Because here is the date and you immediately know. I mean. It was obvious through other means as well, but here it's confirmed without any question that that baby is the baby that this woman who was just mourning has lost. So he's immediately racked with guilt. Um, he knows that he should have reported it, but it's three years in at this point or so. So this child is, maybe it's only two years, but the child is aware of the fact that um, Tom and uh, Alicia Vikander's character, Isabel, are the parents Lu this is lucy's parents she's been with them every day of her memory and has been taught everything she knows by them she's grown up at the lighthouse um and um that's where we get the story of rachel weiss's character uh hannah um hannah married a german um after world war one despite him being hated um she did it at the uh at a threat from her father who apparently her father is very wealthy threatened that she would have no access to the money if she married this German um, and she did it anyways for love and um, you know, they have a child and she loves the child. The child's name is grace. Um, and one day they go missing at sea. And so for years she's been mourning, but there, I am not sure at what point this scene is, but um, it is very important um, where she asks him, she asks her husband, Frank, how with all the things that have happened to him, he can be so happy and he states that to forgive it only takes once but to be resentful it's every single day oh interesting i missed that part um, um that's very that's an important line because again that comes back to her decision later in the film hmm? um so fastbender's character tom being um guilty uh he well again we're, we're doing this thing i don't know if i want to go through the whole plot every time but he sends her a letter um, basically saying that the baby's alive and is okay, is well taken care of and loved for her not to worry. Doesn't say who it is, obviously, but um, it's his way of trying to assuage his guilt a little bit so he's not feeling quite so uh, bad about it, although he definitely still is. He's definitely hurt by this. Um, but he doesn't tell Isabel. And they go on with the baby back to the island, um, and it's not until the 40th anniversary of the lighthouse and the island called Janus, which is really cool uh, if you're a fan of Greek mythology. Janus is the uh, two-faced two god who's able to look in both directions so that um, it's a guard so that nobody can sneak up on it. And that's the lighthouse. It's on Janus Island because it's in the middle of two oceans and it looks both left and right so that no one can sneak up on it and hit the island. Um, sorry, I have to throw some nerdum stuff into that. But... Um, this is where uh, the mother, Hannah, ends up meeting Isabel and Lucy. And um, 
it's it's dramatic irony at its finest as we are very much aware that the mother is reunited with the daughter but they are not they have uh they have maybe a little indication um as it bothers her to see lucy um as it reminds her of her own child that she's lost and she ends up leaving um but fassbender is super nervous during this in- encounter i felt like she knew i think she definitely thought so but it's probably something she's thought every time she's seen a child, um, you know, because of that loss. I don't think it's ever it's definitely with her. It has never stopped hurting for her. You know, she's always hopeful that the baby will show up. So and then the and letter. Were, oh, sorry. Good. There was never any closure. No, because there was no I mean, you don't want to find the body of your child, but you also don't want to wonder what happened to your child. You know, um, so. She she you know moves off, but it's it's made Fassbender feel all the more guilty, um, because he's met her now. She's a real person. She's not just a woman he saw crying from a distance. And um, this time, um, this time he uh, returns the rattle to her. Well, Isabel knows too. Now Isabel knows that, that meeting though, right? Yeah. She knew right then that that was. Well, the she mother. hears the story. Uh, I think the I think the sister tells the story after Hannah walks away. Sorry about her. She, um, her husband and child went missing. She would be her age. Like she straight up says, uh, your daughter's age. Like, so right. Yeah. Vikander knows immediately. Um, and there is a fight. Fassbender wants to return the baby. And Isabel's like, no way. I'm her mother. Like I am her mother. Cause at this point, the daughter is at least five or so. Like she's very much aware of her family. Like she knows daddy and mommy. And it is, it's a, it's devastating to think about taking a kid away from someone who they believe 100% to be their father and mother. Um, but Fassbender returns this rattle, which at the very beginning of the film, when they find the boat, they make a show of the rattle. So I knew it was going to come back. It's Chekhov's gun. If they make that big of a show of something, you can expect it to play a part in the plot later on. And it definitely does, um, as it's what gives evidence that this the person who sent the letter wasn't just writing nonsense, because now we have proof of something that belonged to the baby. And this gets the police motivated to really start uh, investigation. They post uh, the picture in the um, in the windows of the town, and one of the people who was a regular to the lighthouse uh, turns them in. Lucy. What <laughs> is that? <laughs> that's um, I'm th- I keep feeling that like that's his name. Oh, okay. I was kind of surprised um, that with that turn of events, just because they were friends. Not that that makes you not do the right thing, but, you know, yeah, I don't, it's not necessarily, but also it didn't give a lot of information either. It just says, if you've seen this, contact us for like 3,000 pounds or something. But again, I think, I don't think he did it for the mo- the money. I think it was, you know, this poor woman has been suffering for five years now about her child and he knows and so he can't i don't think he could deal with that guilt either um even if it was just a suspicion so the police come um fassbender warns isabel you know just say it was all me that i made you do this um and he's willing to take the the fall um to protect isabel even though it was isabel's doing there he is being a good husband again being a good husband doing it for her um now they essentially accuse him of a hate crime um, even he shows them where the body is, but they they're starting to push that he murdered him, and point out that weren't you in World War One? What's killing another German? You know, um, he it's, you've killed many Germans. What's another? You know, it'd be no no challenge for you to kill him. So he was just hoping for you know, like a kidnapping charge, and instead gets a murder charge is looming over him, although not quite finalized. But uh, Lucy is returned to Hannah, and Hannah's you know now trying to convince Grace. One, that her name is Grace, and two, that I'm your mother, despite Lucy knowing Isabel to be her mother for this five years of her life, or however many aye. years. Aye, aye, aye. So, Something... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no. Please, go ahead. I just think... I thought it was kind of interesting how Hannah's dad was... I mean, it is his granddaughter, but he wasn't interested... I don't... We weren't really shown if he was interested in his grandchild at the time, but because of who her father was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, We, you could assume that he didn't maybe hadn't met the grandchild until then. Although, he is the one who finally convinces Grace to accept uh, Hannah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's a strain there. Um, there's the the worst scene, and I don't mean bad. I mean like painful. Um, f- during this time, but be- be- between him being arrested and the day that they're going to um punish him, is Isabel running into Hannah and Grace at the fabric store. Um, because Grace is excited to see her mother, her what she thinks is her real mother, Isabel. Um, and Isabel is ecstatic to see Lucy and Hannah is just freaked out and trying to get away from all of it. Um, but with grace and it's so uncomfortable, it's so painful. Um, and it's one of those things where you, you feel like the right thing is to let grace be with Isabel because they love each other, but you stole her. It wasn't her place. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's this, I was torn like so much emotionally because I was very much aware that it's Isabel's fault and it's yet you are punishing the child by keeping her away from Isabel mm-hmm. in theory. I mean, you have to, you could argue that if a person's willing to take a baby, they're not all there mentally. And so maybe is dangerous. Not that she ever showed that, but you could make that argument like for someone to, you know, work outside the law, keep a child without going through the proper channels. It takes a degree of, of a little bit of craziness. And given the fact that she had two, miscarriages that she definitely wasn't in the right state of mind to make such a big decision like keeping a baby that they found in a rowboat with a dead guy and i don't think that she thought about hurting anybody either no and of course obviously she's she was devastated by losing two children through the miscarriages um and also watched her parents lose two sons to the war so she's very familiar with loss and clearly her own loss clouded her judgment that this baby belongs to a mother and we don't know where the mother is uh, you there yeah okay i was just thinking like she could also be thinking why the baby was there without the mother there was no body you know what i mean yeah i, I don't mean, know you could argue like maybe the mother and the father were in the boat mother fell out you could have make that that jump i mean you could assume a lot of things about her inner process but given the amount of grief she was in it's more likely that she was simply thinking two babies were taken from me and here is a baby washing up on my beach. This is a gift. This is a sign. And so the struggle goes and, you know, it's really hard for Hannah. At some point, um, Grace goes missing and she wanders off uh, looking to find the lighthouse. Um, luckily, she was not hurt, although they for a minute made us think she was dead because they showed her a stuffed animal in the water. Um, and but, uh, Isabel stole her. And I thought that she had. Yeah. I, yeah. They also make you think Isabel stole her. Um, which she had not, and I was very grateful for that because she'd already been crazy once. That would have made her mega crazy. But um, it, they find Isabel, everything's... Or, I'm sorry, they find um, Grace, everything's fine. But Hannah comes to a conclusion um, that if if Isabel is willing to say that it was um, murder, that Tom murdered Frank, she will give um, Grace to Isabel. And I don't understand what kind of conclusion... Or what that was going to do for Hannah. You know what I mean? I think it would have been... um, I'm not sure if she was expecting Isabel to actually do that. Um, If she was looking for like eye for an eye type of revenge. um, Or just more closure. Um, Maybe she really believed he he murdered Frank. And wanted Isabel to make sure that he would be punished for it. Um, And Isabel... I was convinced Isabel was going to screw him over. In fact, given how many times he had uh, done what she wanted, despite him knowing what the right thing to do was, I was 100% convinced she was going to do the wrong thing um, because she never made a sacrifice throughout the film. And here is what she wants is the baby. Oh, my God, you're right. And so I was so convinced that that's the way this was going to go. And instead, she arcs here. She matures um, and she reads the letter. Because she read that lovely letter. Again, another, the motif throughout the film, the letters tell a lot of the story. He had written a letter to her while he was in prison. She had not read it, um, until this ultimatum was made to her. And that's when she reads the letter. And I don't remember what it said. I just remember thinking, wow, this letter is so powerful. Um, um but do you want, oh, yeah, do you, if you remember, oh, me. I do. He was saying that, um, after all the war that he had gone through, and even if he were to live another hundred years, the years that he had with her um, made everything worth it, mm-hmm. and that he would always love her. 
um, was the gist of it. And in very melodramatic style, um, she goes running to the prison. He's already being escorted to the boat. Um, she jumps into the boat once she gets there, and he's trying to tell her to shut up. And instead, she confesses to everything that it was her doing, it was not his doing, that Frank was dead when they found the boat. She convinced him to lie, basically completely changing the story they had been giving. Um, and that starts to wrap the film. Um, you, Hannah finds out she's surprised. Um, we've now decided Lucy Grace will be the, the girl's name. So combining both of her names um, into a new hybrid name. And we get um, some interesting closure. You want to talk about the end? Um, yes. So this is where the scene with Hannah's husband comes back into play. And she wonders what would happen if she gives them clemency. Um, and then because why, you know, why should she um, continue to her over it? She wants to forgive them. Um, and then I was kind of surprised, though, that she still didn't give them her daughter, their daughter the daughter i thought she was gonna do that i'm glad she didn't um at that point grandpa had convinced lucy grace to kind of give um hannah a chance Mm -hmm. and um we don't get a whole lot of that uh we don't see them together or anything but um we do get a scene of alicia vikander and uh michael fassbender older um and like uh i can't the end hit me so much harder that I, I don't really remember what was said between the two of them. Do you remember? Yes. She is on, it sounds like an, a ven, uh, ox, I'm really bad with medical stuff guys, mm-hmm. but it's like an oxygen thing. It's breathing for her. Um, and she says, um, do you think that God will forgive me? And Tom tells her that he believes he already did. And it's time that she forgives herself. And then yeah. she passes. Yeah. And, not long after she passes, it's 1950, um, we are told the year, um, a car, a truck, a car, it's a car, a car pulls up um, to the house, and a blonde, young blonde woman gets out, and um, we find out it's Lucy Grace, and Tom is surprised and excited, um, and she also has a baby, and it's a very touching moment, she's you know sad to hear about Isabel's passing, but She'd apparently been looking forward to seeing them the whole time. Um, it's implied she had a very good life. And, uh, you know, that we have this reunion between father and daughter, even though not biological, but definitely a man who loved this girl with all his heart. Um, and we get the promise of uh, a relationship that they're going to have, that they're going to reconnect after all these years, which she should be a, um, what, about 20... Uh, 27? 27. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been a long time. I don't know why she waited till 27 to see him. I was wondering if she said that she couldn't come before then. So I'm wondering if her mother had passed away. That could be. Um, that might be what it was. I don't know if maybe that was their punishment or something too. Maybe, you know, like 25 years or whatever. Maybe that was like the, well, no, it wasn't 25. Maybe 20 years. Was there like punishment legally or something? I don't know. Um, but it's, it's not explained, but, um, the last thing I wrote in my notes was Derek Sion France is the man. Um, I feel like that's a very accurate statement. So, um, what, did you, go ahead. Did you notice he was living kind of in solitude again? Yes. Um, very much. Their house was out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I think this time the two of them went to solitude for the same reason for penance. He went looking for penance for his actions in the war, um, and found her. Um, in this case, they went looking for penance, uh, you know, because of what they did, that they needed to be alone um, from the rest of the world. And and he loved her. Oh, they, they loved each he, other. I know, but he loved her through everything. And I know mm-hmm. she loved him, but there was a moment there we didn't know. Well, I think she went a little crazy. Um, and I don't she didn't blame him for all of it, but he is the reason they got caught. Um you know, he couldn't deal with the guilt. I don't think she would have done anything to indicate to uh, Hannah that uh, Lucy was there, was her daughter. Like, I don't think she would have done anything to give them away. He did. So there's definitely some, some hatred there. But um, he man- his love is so pure and strong that it breaks through her shell eventually. You know, eventually she realizes she's wrong and um, saves him. Because they were going to, I think, put him to, to death. 
Um, although I don't know why they were putting him on a boat, but maybe they were going to dump him out at sea. I'm not really sure what the punishment was then. They, they were going to another city, but I didn't understand why either, unless it was for a trial. It, either that or for maybe the firing squad was at another city or something, because they did tell him that was the death penalty was a firing squad. So um, I missed that. Yeah, it was said really quickly. I think one of the police officers said it to him or something like, if we find murder, you'll be in front of a firing squad or something like that. Um, oh, shoot. So uh, he would have been put to death. And that's, I think, where they were most likely going and why she needed to save him when she did. Um, in the future with these podcasts, what we'll probably do more is less of a plot breakdown and more of what we like, what we didn't, and um, our rating. I'm not sure. We'd love to hear feedback from you, actually. What do you want to hear? Do you want us to break the plot down like we just did and then talk about what we want to talk about as we go? Or would you rather just assume us assume that you've seen the movie and so we just need to tell you what we like and didn't um i'm up for either one i just i don't want to bore the listeners with the details if they watch the movie too so overall um was there anything that you didn't get to say Corey, that you wanted to bring up no i think we did a pretty good job of hitting all of the main points um at that at this time what we'll do is our rating so um my review uh oh i didn't do a review for this because i knew it was doing the podcast never mind um what are you going to give this film, Corey? Must-see film, hands down, not sad I bought it. The Light Between Oceans also gets the must-see rating for me. I, I do think it will not appeal to an audience who is either anti-love, anti-romance, um, or anti-melodrama, because it is, you know, a lot of stuff gets... It's very dramatic, but it's very well-written. Um, it's amazingly performed. I think this is Fassbender's best performance. It is definitely one of Vic Kander's best, although she's great in the Danish girl and um, ex machina for sure. But this is a different performance. Um, you know, maybe not as different as Danish girl. Danish girl is in the same realm of what she has to deal with, but definitely well uh, recommended. I am a huge fan of Derek C on France. I look forward to seeing whatever else he puts out. Um, he has not done anything that I dislike so far. And in fact, I think I like his movies in the order that we've watched that I've watched them. The place beyond the pines, blue Valentine and light between oceans. I think this is his best. And I love all three, mind you, but I think this is my favorite of the three, with Blue Valentine being in second place, um, Place Beyond the Pines third, which I like Place Beyond the Pines a lot, again, so I'm not saying anything negative about that movie by putting it third, but I just think his his films are getting better and tighter scripts. He, um, he did adapt this from a book, and um, we would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, next week, um, we'll be watching... Corey, do you know what we're watching next week? Because... That's a great question. I meant to check that earlier, and I totally blanked on it. Hold on, folks. We're going to tell you. Um, the idea here, why we tell you now, is we would love for you to watch the movie and tweet at us or email us your thoughts um, about the, the film that we're watching so that we can, on the podcast, read some of your opinions rather than just give you ours. Um, we will still give you ours, but we would love to hear some of our, our listeners' um, opinions. So you can even... If you are on listening to us on SoundCloud, you can even contact us via SoundCloud. Um, tell us what you think about the movie that we're going to be watching next week. And I'm pulling up the list. Um, we're a little ahead of ourselves, so I think... We, we have to move something up, I think, or put a new movie in. So let's decide. Um, we already did a Cure for Wellness, so that was what was on the slate for next week. Um, so that means either we can do uh, the recent release. I don't know if you're going to go see Get Out or not. Mm, I don't know. Okay, then let's go with something that's easier for us both to watch. Um, we're going to do a movie uh, that just went on Netflix this week. <gasps> um, yes! And I'm going to get the name of it, but it is directed by Macon Blair, um, who I am a big fan of. He is uh, in Green Room. He's also in Blue Ruin, which is uh, two films directed by Jeremy Solonier whose name I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. And um, Megan Blair had his directorial debut for a movie called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which debuted at Sundance and is now on Netflix. So this is even an easy one for our listeners. You can go, if you have Netflix um, or your friend's Netflix or you stole your ex-girlfriend's or ex-boyfriend's, um, you can go to Netflix, look up I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Note that it is definitely, while it's not rated R from what I've read about this movie, it is going to be a very hard R with lots of violence. Um, it stars uh, Melanie Linsky and uh, Elijah Wood. Um, and again, is directed by Macon Blair. Um, that's what we're going to be watching next week. Uh, if you would watch it, tweet at us. You can tweet at me at Burke Reviews. 
And Corey? At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. You can go to BurkeReviews.com and you can email us from there. Um, if you go to our website and look at this post for uh, episode eight of the movie club, there will be a link you can click on and email us right from there or you can find it any on our contact page. Um, and or on SoundCloud. You can simply email us on that app if that's what you're using to listen to us. And we will read uh, some of the reviews. We can't read all of them if we get a bunch, but if we only get a few, you're guaranteed to get read on the on the podcast next week for episode nine, which again will be I don't belong in this world anymore. I hope I just said that right. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I did not then. I apologize. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It is a long title. Long. Um, apparently, we're going longer and longer each week as the light between <laughs> oceans is a little bit of a mouthful. Oh, gosh. Um, Yep. So eventually we'll just do the movie Pi or the number nine. So (laughs) thank you uh, for listening to another episode of Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, We'll be back next week with the new episode, as we just said. Uh, Until next time. um, Bye. Peace. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.